Dear Father, we have uh, come from a hundred different weeks, some stressful, some relaxing. Maybe we've got a, an issue in our family that is hanging over our heads. Maybe work is stressful. The holidays are upon us, the stress of the supply chain, the stress of family gatherings, of making sure everything is ready to go, the decorations, the turkey that costs me 50% more. I pray that we lay that down this morning and open our heart to your word. I pray that you speak to us and you guide us this morning. In your heavenly name we pray. Amen. Can do a... Adjust things around. Let's get the obvious out of the way. Yes, um, I am not Eric. So that may be surprising to some of you. But uh, my name's Ryan. I uh, came here earlier this month, or excuse me, in September, and I was able to uh, preach to you guys, and you guys invited me back. So I guess I didn't offend too many people. That's awesome. Thank you for having me back. I am actually a local. I live here in El Dorado Hills, for those of you who weren't here in September. Um, but I do uh, teach at Western Seminary. We do have a seminary in the area. And by the way, seminaries are not just for future pastors. They're for anybody who wants to actually learn a little bit more about Jesus. So I welcome you to kind of check us out, Western Seminary. We're uh, up in the Rockland area. I'm going to come a little bit closer to you. There's no reason to be so distant. And uh, yeah, there I teach, actually, I'm a, uh, my specialty is the integration of marriage and family therapy and theology. I've got two master's degree, a master's of divinity, which I think is a fancy way of just saying, like, I've taught theology, okay? Like, I, I've been taught theology. And I also have a master's of arts in marriage and family therapy. This morning, I'm coming to you, uh, and you guys are in the series of Mark. Last time I was here, you guys were studying the Shema, and that was really exciting, but Mark is equally exciting. So we're going to continue our journey in Mark. You guys are taking the slow pace, which I appreciate, right? So you've uh, been studying for Mark a couple months now, and you're only in verses 16 and 17. The church I go to, we've been studying John for almost two years. And last time I checked, my, uh, the pastor is planning on doing Romans and taking three years so the slow go into the Gospel of Mark, I think, is awesome, just to allow it to kind of permeate into your soul. You know, when I was preparing for this this morning, I had the great opportunity to kind of sit back and think about, who am I today? And more importantly, how have I been made to be that person? So, I'm going to kind of walk you through a little journey of who you see before you today and where that's come from. So I was born in uh, 19- in Wisconsin. Yeah. He was like, oh, this song, Oceans, this is an old song. That really dated me because I sang that in college, and it wasn't a new song then. So now he's like, I'm going to go back way back to this old song. I'm like, yep. I, I remember when that song first came out. But I was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, a chubby little kid right there. There I am. I just want to pinch those cheeks right there. Now, you don't make a lot of choices when you're young, but one thing, if anybody has been born or raised in Wisconsin, there's a choice that's made for you. I'm not sure what happens. I actually only lived in Wisconsin for less than a year. 
So cognitively, I don't even remember Wisconsin. But I'm pretty sure in the hospital when you give, you know, they give you your first injections, they inject you with something that makes you allegiant to Wisconsin for the rest of your life. So I follow the Packers and the Bucks. Now those are two easy teams to follow. It hasn't always been that way, by the way. The Bucks, just last year I started to proudly say I'm a fan of the Bucks. Before that, it was like, I'm a fan of the Bucks. Packers, okay, that's always been easy. I mean, it's hard to be the most dominant football team in history, but I'm a, I'm a lifelong fan of the Packers. But you know I'm a fan of the Packers and the Bucks because I'm also a fan of the Brewers, as evidenced by this pick right there, when I was like seven or eight years old. I was able to go to uh, what was Candlestick Park, definitely starting to date myself, when the Giants played at that wind tunnel of a stadium. And I was able to see the Milwaukee Brewers take on the San Francisco Giants for the first time in my life, and that was that morning. Love the Packers, Bucks, and the Brewers. Right? I didn't necessarily choose it. I'm pretty sure the hospital nurse injected me with something to make me like them for the rest of my life. But that's, that's part of who I am. Now, when I got a little bit older, I started to make decisions for myself. One of the decisions I got to make is where to go to high school. So I could go to my local public school, Piner High School. Grew up in Santa Rosa, California. But I decided, because my mom said, hey, this is an option for you, to go to the local private school called Cardinal Newman. I had no idea that choosing high schools would shape where my life would go. So I went to Cardinal Newman, and there was lots of experiences there that shaped who I was. I wanted to be an athlete, so one of the first decisions I said is, I'm going to go for the basketball team. And I spent the whole fall of my freshman year doing basketball conditioning, or what I called five days a week of throwing in the garbage can, throwing up in the garbage can. It was horrible. Running, doing wall sits for hours on end. It was painful. But I did it. And I tried out for the basketball team, and I didn't make it. Oh. Some of my decisions were failures. But that failure shaped who I became. A couple years earlier, my dad uh, and mom were divorced when I was at a very young age. I would go to my dad's for a couple weeks in the summer, and he didn't want me just to be hanging out at his house with nothing to do. So he's like, I have this local tennis club that you could be a part of, right? Oh, by the way, this is my first teddy bear. I totally forgot that. As I'm talking about who I am, I even have my first teddy bear. See, it's a cute little thing. So my dad said, hey, you know, I'm part of this local tennis club. You should probably be a part of it. And I was like, okay, I'd never played tennis before, so I learned how to play tennis. I even won second place in a tournament. I still have, see, I went through like crazy memory row, row this weekend, or this past week. I was going through all my old stuff, old photos. It was a lot of fun. So I learned to play tennis. I didn't know that that decision to learn how to play tennis. In high school, I was like, I want to be an athlete. Didn't make the basketball team. I made the tennis team. It shaped my life. As I look back now, I see that that decision to continue in tennis shaped who I was. I got my high school letter. If you knew me in high school, this is a God miracle right here. This did not happen to kids like me. My nickname was Chicken Legs. That's, that's how you can see I was not an athlete, but I got this. In fact, I still don't believe I got this because I never got the letterman jacket. Just kept the letter, right? And then just a few years later, what I found myself... I was teaching kids how to play tennis because of that decision to continue to learn how to play tennis. 
And I was able to feed into them, and I even got to coach a high school tennis team, all because of the decision that made me into what I am today. Fast forward a little bit, I got to choose where I went to college. I got to accept it to uh, three or four different colleges, decided to go to UC Davis, go Aggies, but they lost yesterday. They lost to Sac State in the, uh, the Causeway Classic, that's okay though. Okay. When I was in Davis, there's all kinds of decisions that uh, presented me. One of the decisions was what I was going to study. I went in as a bioscience major. My grandma had gotten diagnosed with cancer about eight years prior, and I had made the decision that I wanted to go into medical research. I wanted to study cancer, I wanted to study different diseases, and I wanted to try to find a cure. Right? So I decided to be a bioscience major. And then, about sophomore year in college, I hit biochemistry. And just like basketball, becoming a doctor or medical research just kind of floated away, because seasoned biochemistry are not going to get you into med school. So I was faced with, what do I do next? Well, just at the end of my sophomore year, I started studying or taking different electives, and one of the electives I took was psychology. And I went, I like this. I like studying how people tick. And so I changed my major to become a psychology major. And now, ever since that decision, my whole life has been shaped by how people tick and studying that. I went on to get my master's degree. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, all from the simple decision to choose to change my major. It was funny, though, when I changed my major, I wasn't thinking I would go into full-time mental health. One of the other decisions in college I had was to join a couple groups, and one of the groups that I decided to join was called College Life. It was a Christian group. Uh, when I joined, it was like three to 400 people on campus. It's one of the cool things about UC Davis. There is a Christian college on the public campus. There are so many Christian fellowships there that, that meet throughout the week. One of them was College Life that I became a part of. I also decided to join what was an actual Christian fraternity. I know all fraternities are like, no, 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 we're Christian. Yeah, no, they're not. Uh, but Alpha Gamma Omega was a group of men trying to pursue what it meant to be a godly man. And they decided to get involved in that group. Greatest decision, second greatest decision, as you'll see in a second, right? In those two ministries, College Life and AGO, I learned the importance of serving and ministering to other people. And I felt a call to ministry. I went, I think I'm supposed to be in ministry. And so when I graduated from school, I actually started pursuing that. I went to Western Seminary, got my master's, started pursuing my master's of divinity at first. That was all I was getting. I was working at uh, two different churches, one in Davis, and then I moved down to um, uh, Santa Cruz and worked for a church down there. And about four or five years into it, I took a class in my program called Introduction to Pastoral Counseling. And I went, oh, that's right, that psychology thing. I like that psychology thing. I like how people tick. By that time, I had made another decision. I had met this wonderful woman named Jolie, and I made the best. I'm sorry, did I emphasize that enough? The best. I still don't think that's emphasized enough. The absolute best decision of my entire life and asked her to marry her. There's our wedding, uh, wedding photo, excuse me, right? And that shaped my life. And I remember a discussion when I came home to my then wife, 
Jolie and said, hey, I know I've just spent the last three years and thousands of dollars to get my Master's of Divinity. I think I also need to get my Master's of Arts in Marriage and Family Therapy. That was, a, that was an interesting conversation. Best thing is, and this is why it's the best decision of my life, she was like, okay. What? what? I'm sorry, did I make it? It'd be three, four more years and thousands of more. Okay. Awesome. Right? And I look back at all these decisions in my life, and what I see today and what is before you is a Wisconsin sports loving, go Packers, go Bucks, go Brewers, tennis playing therapist who sees his life as ministry and teaches at a seminary and is married to, I'm sorry, I don't think I can emphasize this enough, the greatest woman ever. Have you ever stopped and thought about where you are today? And just reflected on how you have gotten there and the decisions that you've made and how that's influenced you. Because the reality is, what you choose to follow makes you. It shapes you. Right? You guys have been in the book of Mark. You've been kind of camping out at this story where you've got two individuals who are going to make a decision. The decision is before them to follow or not to follow. And this morning, we're going to sit and reflect a little bit on how that decision makes those individuals. How does it make, how does it shape Simon and Andrew? So if you've got your Bible, if you've got your phone or whatever you use, pull it out. We're in Mark chapter 1, still in Mark chapter 1. And we're in verse 16. So I just want to kind of review where we've been in Mark. Remember what you guys have learned so far. Mark, one of the shortest gospels. If you want a like cliff notes to the gospel of Jesus, Mark is your gospel. Shortest one out there. Many people believe actually Mark was the earliest gospel written, and that the other gospels, Matthew and Luke particularly, actually used Mark as a resource when they wrote their gospels. So this is like maybe one of the earliest ones that we have. In general, even though the Gospels are the first thing you get in the New Testament, they're actually one of the last books written, almost all of them. Almost most of the books in the New Testament were written before the Gospels were taken up, right? Because you didn't have to remember the life of Jesus. He had died only like 20, 30 years ago, and it was a big event, at least, and spread a lot amongst the church. It became more apparent later, we need to write these down so that people can remember them. But Mark is probably the first one, and he's the briefest. Now, if you know your New Testament history, you can look at the 12 disciples and guess whose name you are not going to find? Mark. So who is this dude? Matthew's a disciple, right? You know, John was most likely a disciple. You're not reading the book of Luke, so we won't talk about that one, but who's this Mark dude? Well, we go back and forth in the scholarly land about who wrote this, but most likely Mark was actually a disciple of Peter. See, Peter followed Jesus. And Peter then goes and makes other disciples, Mark probably being one of them. So when you're reading Mark, it is more than likely that you're actually getting Peter's perspective. That's important for our story this morning, right? 
You're reading Peter's gospel. So let's read here in, verse, uh, in chapter 1, verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. There's a couple details that I think stand out here. First of all, these two individuals, this is not calling all 12. This is a story about just two of them, Simon and Andrew. You're like, wait, I thought, this, I thought you said Peter's gospel was really important. Well, you're going to learn in about four chapters that Jesus changes Simon's name to Peter. So you have Peter here, the beginnings of Peter. He's probably a middle-aged, like in their day, middle-aged, 20s, <laughs> right? That was, they didn't live as long back then. Middle-aged man. Every decision in his life had shaped him to become what, they, what it says right here in the text, a fisherman. He knew what to do. As a matter of fact, we probably know that Jesus was walking along the shore, maybe at night or early in the morning, because that's when fishermen knew when to fish. They didn't go in the day because you fished by net back then. What happens when you cast out a net in the middle of the day? The sun lets the fish know, oh, I'm swimming over here. I'm getting out of there. So fishermen were trained, probably by their fathers or by learning how to do this, that the decisions that you make shape you, and I'm not going to catch fish in the middle of the day, so I'm going to go when it's dark or dusk so that the shadow doesn't affect them as much. So they fished at night usually or, late in the, or early, early morning. So Jesus is probably walking along the seashore here, late night, early morning, and two men who have been made decisions to be shaped to be fishermen look out at this guy and he says, follow me. You looked at that last week, but I think it's a really important part for where we're going this week. Follow to what? What do you mean? Well, see, this Jesus was a Hebrew. He was a rabbi, which is a fancy Jewish way of saying teacher. And a teacher would gather followers to teach them to do what they did. And so this is Jesus gathering his followers, but followers to what? Well, just go from verse 16 and skip two verses up above to 14. Now John, that's John the Baptist, was arrested, and Jesus came into Galilee. This is the Sea of Galilee where we are right now, proclaiming the gospel. Now that gets all lost in our world today. Good news. That's not a New Testament. That's not the first four books of the New Testament. That was called the good news back in the Old Testament. This is the good news of God, what God is doing in the world. And Jesus was proclaiming the good news of what God was doing in the world and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the theme of Mark's gospel, and Eric rightly identified it as the theme for your whole sermon series. The kingdom of God is here. Guys, we do not live in a heavenly democracy. We're not going to die and go to heaven and fill out voting boxes about who we want to be in charge. That has been decided. We are in a kingdom with a tremendous, powerful, and only person with power God as our king. The kingdom of God is at hand. And the question is, is what's your response? What are you going to choose to follow? The kingdom or your own way. 
And I choose to follow the kingdom, so now what? Repent and believe. Now, you looked at those words a couple weeks ago. I think it's important because we get words in our head and we get concepts in our head that I don't think were necessarily meant in the original text, like repent. We think of this big holy word, like one day I repented of all my sins and God cleansed me of it and it was over. That is not what that word means. It's actually a hybrid of two Greek words, meta and noeo. Meta means to come around. Like, whoops, I missed my turn, so I meta to go get my turn, to come alongside. And then noeo is the process of your mind or thinking. So to repent in the Greek world is literally to change your thinking. Change your thinking. Like, this is what I think here, and now I change here. That's not a one-time decision. Ladies and gentlemen, as a follower of Jesus, I repented probably 4,000 times just yesterday. Where I didn't think, yeah, that's not where I should be going. That's what repent means. That's what Jesus is calling Peter and Andrew to, to change your thinking. And then the other one, to believe, pistis. It doesn't just mean like, I got that information. Oh, Jesus existed and I believe in him. No, 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 no. There's a part to that. But what it means, and more than just believe, it literally means to make a life-altering commitment to, or to entrust. What do you entrust things to? Only the things that you truly believe in. I'm going to entrust my life to Jesus. That's what believe means. Not just like I know the facts and I commit to it, but I actually entrust to Jesus. So what were Simon and Andrew being called to do? To change the way they thought and to make a life-altering commitment to this new rabbi named Yeshua, named Jesus. To literally be go from fishermen to fishers of men, and you're going to look at that next week. But I don't think that that's necessarily what all the disciples were called to. Matthew, he wasn't a fisherman, he was a tax collector. Could you imagine Jesus being like, hey, Matthew, come become a fisher of men? He'd be like, I don't know anything about fishing. It's not recorded, but I have a funny feeling. Jesus went to each of the people where they were and all the decisions they've made and called them to follow him from where they were at. He probably said to Matthew, hey, you're a tax collector. Come become a collector of men. Right? That kind of idea. There was another one, Simon the Zealot. Different than Simon, who becomes Peter. This is Simon the Zealot. The Zealot was passionately pursuing freedom for Israel. And I'm sure Jesus went to him and said, hey, you're, you're a zealot. Come be, come be zealous for men. Because Jesus met each one of them where they were at. So what did it mean for the disciples to be made by Jesus? That's what we want to focus on this morning the rest of our time. If we choose to follow him, to change our thinking and make a life-altering entrustment decision to follow him, now what? To be made. Ho'eo is the Greek word here. To cause, to come about, to accomplish. This is the coolest part of this word. The Hebrew Bible was written in Hebrew, but it was translated into Greek. When they translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek, and they were translating Genesis chapter 1, and it said, and God made the heavens and the earth, 
Guess what verb they chose? Poieo. Same one. So it's not just to be made like, you know, you make a batch of cookies, right? I put the ingredients together and I mix it up and poof, cookies. No, this is actually a creative event. When you decide to follow Jesus, you are literally created into something. Not wiping what you were away. That's important to remember. You may think God just wants to get rid of me. No, 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 no. He made you. Now he wants to make you into something more. He wants to create in you. He wants to poeo. He wants to, to create, to accomplish something in you. But it's not a passive process. This isn't like, okay, I choose to follow, and now I just sit back and watch it happen. In fact, in Greek, there's a whole form of the way to communicate that. It's called the passive verb, where everything's being done to you and you don't do anything. That's not poeo. It's an active verb, which means Jesus is doing the making, but you are involved in the process. You don't just sit on the sidelines. Right? You do something here. So let's actually jump forward here a little bit. You're going to be studying Mark for, I don't know, years maybe, I don't know, at this pace. But let's jump ahead and say, Jesus is saying, Peter, Andrew, follow me and I will make you. Let's jump ahead in the story and see how they were made to learn what this creative process looks like. First of all, the first thing that we notice is they go everywhere with him. They live with him. It's a life-altering commitment. And this is the way of the Jewish rabbi. When you were a rabbi and there was somebody who wanted to be a rabbi, you couldn't be a rabbi unless you sat at the foot of another rabbi. Paul talks about this, how he sat at the foot of Gamaliel. Every rabbi would have his students, and they would live with that rabbi and experience their daily life. See how that rabbi taught. See how that rabbi took care of the temple. It would be a life-altering commitment, and that's what these disciples, that's what Peter and Andrew do, where Jesus goes for like a hundred-plus-mile journey down to Jerusalem, his disciples go with him. Now, we have no idea about their families. They most likely had families, wives, children. The Bible doesn't talk about that. But could you imagine that? This dude coming up to you while you're fishing and saying, hey, follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And you literally have to just change your life. And we know they still fish because they were fishing at the end of the Gospels, right? But they, they just go where Jesus goes, 100-plus mile journey on foot. Okay. I'm telling you, if I was back then and be like, follow me, and he'd be like, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to sit this one out. That's too far. Like 100 miles down to Jerusalem. I can't do that. But they did this. They chose to follow him. And they went everywhere with him. The second thing that we see in the Gospels is as they were going, Jesus taught them. So if you got your Bibles, check out chapter 4 here. We're going to start in verse 10. So Jesus had just got done teaching a whole bunch of parables to a whole group of people. And it says, And when he was alone... Those around him with the 12, that's the disciples, so here's Peter with them. Here's Andrew with them. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. 
oh, excuse me, the 12 asked him about the parables, like, what? What were you just talking about? And Jesus said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is confusing. The word's probably parable in your, uh, in your text, but it really just means jarbled, nonsense, right? So that they may indeed see but not perceive, and that they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they be turn and be, give for, be forgiven. So he quotes the Old Testament. He's actually teaching them about what the parables mean and using the Old Testament. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So here he is teaching in parables. The disciples, probably like a lot of people, are like, whoa, a mustard seed. That doesn't make any sense. But they would just sit there and think about it. And then Jesus would take his disciples and teach them even further and shape them and mold them, create in them an idea of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. Check this example out. This is in chapter 11, so you can turn there. Chapter 11, verse 20 to 23. So they were going to Jerusalem. On their way in, Jesus sees a fig tree, and he tells the fig tree to die. So now they're heading out of Jerusalem, and as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away at its roots. And Peter, Simon, the guy that just was called and said, hey, I'm going to shape you, remembered and said, hey, Rabbi, teacher, Rabbi means teacher, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Yeshua, Jesus answered them saying, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. So Jesus taught them just in random things as they were walking by. Now the fig tree was actually a metaphor for Israel because they were going into Jerusalem. Jerusalem in the Old Testament was called a fig tree. It was a metaphor used in the Old Testament causing the fig tree to die and no longer bear fruit, another Old Testament metaphor, meaning something's happening with Israel. And now he's coming out, and the disciples recognize this, and he uses it as a teaching moment. Don't forget your faith in me, because your faith, if you ask me to, to be taken up this mountain and thrown into the sea, it's going to happen. Saying, because other people, the nation of Israel at that time, had forgotten to do that. So he used that moment as a teaching to shape them, to mold them, to create in them something. So they lived with him. He taught them. That is not all he taught, but there's a lot more. Then a more difficult one for us to learn. We don't like this. See, in our American culture, this is not cool. And if you did this, you did something wrong. But in Jesus' culture, in Jesus' world, to make you, you absolutely have to fail. See, they failed him. And in the failing, they were shaped and molded, created for something. This is in chapter 4, verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across the other side. And leaving the crowds where there had been a big uh, teaching moment that happened with a bunch of people. They took them in boats. And then there was a big old storm, right? You know this story? And in verse 38, they woke Jesus saying, Teacher, do you not care that we're going to die? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Why do you have such little faith? You, you should know 
Like, you've seen me do miracles. You've seen me, like, turn water into wine. You've seen all kinds of things. But this big old storm, you should know in faith, like, this is not that big a deal for me. Why? What, where did you... They failed him. They failed to have faith in him. And he used it as a teaching moment. They missed him. Now, this is something really interesting as we're talking about the different Gospels. Right? They didn't write four different Gospels because they want to tell you this, like, you know, oh, it's the story of Jesus couldn't be contained in one. No, no, no. They wanted to give all kinds of different accounts, and they emphasized different things. One of the curious things about Mark, which, mind you, is Peter's account, most likely is that Mark accounts more than any other gospel is the failure of the disciples. And this is Peter's reflection on Jesus' life and how he just continues to fail and fail and fail and fail. If I was writing my story, that's probably not how I would write it. But Peter knew because he'd been shaped and molded by the time he was discipling Mark. Right? Here's another one of the examples, chapter 8, verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And here's Peter, who again is being shaped and molded. What are you talking about, Jesus? And he goes and he says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. I'm sorry, if you're a follower of the Jesus, can I just give you a recommendation don't rebuke him. That's a bad idea. Right? He rebukes him. But turning, seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Pause. Now, he did not just call Peter a red-horned guy with a pitchfork. The word Satan is the Greek translation of a Hebrew word, Satan, which means accuser. Right? One who accuses. What did Peter just do? Jesus, you're teaching the wrong thing. He accused Jesus of teaching the wrong thing. And so Jesus is literally saying, accuser, get behind me. Don't accuse me of what you don't know. Right? I will take the lead. I will step in front of you. And use this as a teaching moment to say, Peter, no, you don't get it. You're missing it. This is the dude whose story we're listening to. Peter is telling Mark this. This is not a story I would include. If I was telling the story, I'd be like, oh, and something else happened. Now let's check out this story over here. But Peter looks at this story because it was a moment where he was shaped. In his memory, he remembers this as a moment of a decision that shaped him. Then there was a story later when they're in Gethsemane, and Jesus says, keep watch. And it's with Peter. And guess what? They fall asleep. And Jesus wakes him up and says, what, you seriously couldn't even stay awake? This is right before he died. Jesus, or Peter, continues to fail them. So rewind back to, the, to chapter 1 here. We are on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you in the fishers of men. And here's Peter, and here's Andrew, whose whole lives have been deciding and shaped as fishermen. And, God, and Jesus says, I will make you, we see how he makes them, live with me, teach me, fail me, become something different, be created into something different. Fast forward into the future. When Mark is writing this gospel, Peter, the fisherman who basically knew fishing, 
has now become the head of the global movement of Christianity, a figurehead of humility as he's telling the story about all his failures and the failures of the rest of the disciples. He's at the forefront of teaching the world about Jesus. He's the head of the church in the local area, a church that goes from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and heads to the ends of the earth, a church that literally leads to you Today, this morning, that fisher men became fishers of you and me. So when Jesus says, follow me and I will make you, and I want you to hear those words this morning, guys, Jesus and God was going to make something. If he can take Peter and change him into the figurehead of his Christian movement, he can do more in you this morning. Your life is the opportunity to be made by Jesus as a disciple. So how am I made by Jesus today? That's where I want to land the plane this morning. i got five things that I think that we can glean from this story on how I can follow Jesus and be made in his image. The first thing is that the disciples made a life-altering commitment to follow him and be discipled. Guess what we have to do this morning? Make a life-altering commitment to be discipled by Jesus. Yes, we're going to get that in point two. But number one, guys, find somebody who's been in the faith a while who's maybe an elder or has some wisdom in there, to sit down with you, teach you, right? Be taught by them, learn how they live, how they read scripture, the decisions that they make in their family, in their jobs, with their kids, at home. Be discipled. If you don't have somebody who mentors you, get someone. It is the model Jesus prescribed, not by accident, but to develop a world-changing movement. Be discipled. Talk to Eric, talk to the pastoral staff, say, you know what, I need to make that commitment to be a disciple. Do you know anybody? Oh, and start meeting with them. And by the way, it is going to be so incredibly uncomfortable. Anything good that does really good change in your life is hard and uncomfortable, extremely uncomfortable. If you leave it when it gets uncomfortable, you're not being open to being made. Stay in it. Stay in the uncomfortable. Be discipled. Second thing, both of you and your disciple, be taught by the word. See, we don't get the luxury of having Jesus and walking with him and him explaining parables to us. We have to figure that out from a book. And no matter how much American Christianity wants to teach you, don't worry, just open it up and read it. I've been studying it for 25, 30 years. Nuh-uh. It is like chocolate mousse cake. It is deep and rich and heavy. And you literally have to read it and think about every verse for a lifetime. But it is good. If there's anything in your life that is good to commit a lifetime to, it is the Word of God because it is quite literally the Word that God had for all of history for people to know who He is. Get in the Word read it. And in your discipleship ministry, right, and you're being discipled, how do you read the Word? Because it's not just, oh, I read these words and I know what it means to me. Guys, the text wasn't written to you. 
Mark was written to people who lived in the first century BC, uh, AD. You want to know how different the world was in the first century AD? Really different. Right? We got we to gotta learn how to read the text. Third thing, be open to be taught by your mistakes. See, in America, they say, hey, get over your failures because you don't want to focus on them. Look at your successes. Look at your house. Look at your job. Look at your income. Don't, don't look at your failures. No, no. Jesus flips that on your head. Focus on your failures and be shaped by them. Learn from them. Grow from them. Right? I knew I was not supposed to be a basketball star because of my failure to make the basketball team. That's a simple, like, funny solution. But guys, I have much greater failures in my life that have taught me. Focus on your failures and let them know that you are not a failure, but just your failures teach you how to be made more into what Jesus wants you to make. Peter literally records a memoir where he focuses on his failures more than anything else. Don't be afraid of your failures. Fourth thing that I think is really important. American Christianity likes to compartmentalize. Go to church on Sunday and then do whatever you want to do Monday through Saturday. Be open to being made in every area of your life. If you are going to follow Jesus and be made by him, that means you're going to be made as a father or a mother, as an accountant or a counselor, right? As a husband or wife, as a friend, as whatever roles that you have in life, God wants to make you into something in every single area of your life. Don't hold back. I remember in uh, my fraternity at college when I joined, we would have intense discipleship and we would have questions that we would have to go through. As a young male with raging hormones, you can imagine the question that we were asking. They were really uncomfortable, but they were so wholly good to get out in the open and talk to other people about. Because a lot of Christians are like, oh, just don't even mention that. That's not an area of your life that God wants to talk about. Not totally at all. And we talked about it, and it was uncomfortable, and it was good. Last thing, if you're going to be discipled and be made into something, carry on the tradition. Find somebody to disciple. Be a rabbi to somebody else. Take along somebody amongst you. There are two things that you need in life, somebody to disciple you and somebody you disciple. They need, people need Jesus out there, and they need people on a one-on-one individual level to say what's going on in your life. Be a teacher, be a rabbi to somebody else. God wants to make you and make his church through you after you choose to follow him. Open, be open to the call this morning to be shaped in every area of your life. Let's pray. Dear Father, I just ask that we respond this morning, to your call to follow you and to be made into the image of God that you made us into be, to find godly people to mentor us, to grow and learn in your word, to learn from our mistakes, to be taught by you. 
and then to go find somebody else to pour into. So that the mission of your church, no matter what the denomination, no matter what the building, no matter who, continues to spread your faith among the nations, as demonstrated by an idiot Peter, who grew into the figurehead of your movement by your process in making him. May that happen in our lives. In your heavenly name we pray. Amen.